to be in the house of the Lord. If you're glad to be here today, say amen. 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 I'll tell you what, I'm just so glad that you braved this cold weather. Someone said it was minus one degrees. But uh, I tell you what, I'd rather be out here on a cold day than you know where else. Amen. <laughs> amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it's good to see you in the house of the Lord today. We're just so glad that you're here. And uh, I praise God for the opportunity to just come on this first Sunday of 2018. I never thought I'd live to, be, to see the year 2018. I thought that was the year of the Jetsons, you know. Two more years, we're going to be living in the, in the year 2020 if the Lord tarries. But I would be just thrilled if the Lord chose January of 2018 to rapture the church. And I would just be just thrilled about that, wouldn't you also? And uh, I tell you what, I look forward to the coming of the Lord. Our prayers are for the, the Barry family. Dr. Tom Barry was a pastor at, at this church for 25 years, went home to be with the Lord this week. And uh, our prayers are with the family. And uh, I believe he's been living in Florida and he's uh, been sick for some time, but went home to be with the Lord this past week. So just pray for the, this family. He was a wonderful man. In fact, if you go in my office on my, on my, uh, uh, my ordination certificate, his name is there. He was part of my ordination service and also the service uh, where they inaugurated me into the to ministry, and that was back in 1951. No, 71. <laughs> A little Alzheimer's there, so, but uh, you got to give room for that, right? I didn't think 51 sound good. I was born in 55, so that, don't think that happened then. But uh, I, I thought about uh, what to preach. Uh, on the first sermon, they always say that pastors, that's one of the most important sermons of the year, is your first sermon of the new year, because it kind of sets the tone of the direction of the church. And uh, so I took that very seriously, and I've just prayed, and I said, God, just, just let me preach what you want. You are the chief shepherd. You're the boss. Uh, you're the headmaster. And I'm just a paper boy. I just want to be your conduit. I just want to be there as a, as a vessel that is clean and pure, that you could use me, Lord, to speak to your people. And, and you are the church. You are the body of Christ. You are the called out ones into the body of Jesus. He's the head. You're the body. And, and this morning, we want to hear from the head. Amen? So this morning, I, I was praying even throughout this week and a couple weeks ahead of time that, that God would just give us a message. And I know through the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, he gave me this word this morning. Uh, this is what he wants us to, to hear. And, and the text is found in Mark chapter 5, verse 36. I want to speak to you about a man named Jairus. And Jesus uh, saw him go through some really turbulent times. And, and Jesus looks looked into the face of this man, and he said, Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe. This morning I will speak about facing your fears in 2018. And fear is a natural enemy for all of us. 
Fear has a way of cropping up into our life and destroying the peace and joy and, and just erodes away the very quality of our life. In fact, I've learned this as a pastor that fear is never from God, but it's always from Satan. Satan uses fear as a, as a wedge to, to bring torment into our life. In fact, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Every time you feel fear in your life, it's a manifestation of the kingdom of darkness. Fear is what they call a master spirit. It is the spirit Satan uses to rule God's people and to keep them from coming under the leadership of master Christ. In fact, Satan uses fear to keep people from enjoying life altogether. And you surely can't enjoy life and be riddled with fear at the same time. And there are so many things that we could be fearful about. There are so many things that constantly come into our life, unannounced, unexpected things. And we all fear that. Something that comes into our life that we're like, oh, I wasn't prepared for that. I I wasn't thinking about that. That came from nowhere. That just blindsides us. In our sermon, we notice the story of Jairus, and he had a daughter that was dying. And, but in this, the background of this story, and, and I don't know about you, but I love the Gospels. I find that where I am at in my life right now, I love reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I love the Gospel of Mark. There's something about that I love reading about Jesus. I, lo- I just... I love to follow him through his earthly journey. Just something peaceful comes over me. And when I'm going through some turbulent times, there's something calming about just reading about Jesus. I love to make a lot of to-do over Jesus. And in our text, the Bible says that there were crowds and throngs of people that followed Jesus wherever he went. And I believe this crowd was driven with fear. They were afraid of their own diseases in their body. They were afraid of their own physical sufferings. They were afraid of poverty. In fact, they were afraid of failure. They were afraid of their own rejection. And then ultimately the greatest enemy they were afraid of was death. They were like lost sheep. And there was something about the confident presence of Jesus that seemed to to calm people. There was something about being in the presence of Jesus that, that you got this feeling, even though things are not going well in your life, you have this feeling that everything is going to be okay because the master is at the, the helm of the ship. It's okay. There's something about Jesus. And people were drawn to his compassion, his empathy, his magnetic love that pulled fearful men into his presence. I know his Miracles were a tremendous attraction to many people because it was only proof of his identity of of being truly the Messiah, the one from heaven who would come to, to build a bridge to bring man back to God. But there was something about Jesus in the face of calamity. There's something about being around him that was comforting and peaceful. In fact, if you you ever read in the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus spent his entire ministry in public. His entire ministry was spent in the streets, in the highways, the hillsides, uh, the fields, the synagogues, and in the homes of people, and right by the seashore. And occasionally, he would retreat into isolation for the purpose of personal rest or 
an instruction to his disciples or a purpose just being alone with the Father. But Jesus always came back to the crowds because Jesus knew that we had something inside of us that was very unnerving, and that was this thing called fear. The fear of the unknown, the fear of bad things that are going to come our way. Fear. He could look into the faces of people and see them riddled with fear, and it moved him with compassion. It moved him. And he wanted to address this thing. And one of the most popular sayings or or phrases that our Lord used in his earthly ministry, and that was, be not afraid. Be not afraid. He knew something that we don't know. Jesus would always come back to the crowds. It was to the crowd that he had come. It was to the crowd that he would reveal himself. He, He came to help us face our fears. Now, there are three things in this story of Mark chapter 36, which really is encapsulates between verse 21 down through verse 43, this beautiful story. I love this story. Man, I just dive into these biblical accounts that can be so trusted, so full of credibility. I just love to just kind of leave the present and go back into the past and just kind of get into the moment. There are three, three great truths out of this text that I just want us to go in and to take apart and, and just to drive them deep into our hearts this morning. Number one, and that is fear torments the soul of man. Fear torments the soul of man. Fear does a lot to, to drive us into things that we shouldn't get into. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, then a leader of the, of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived, and when he saw Jesus, he fell, on his, uh, he fell at his feet, he was pleading fervently with him, and he says, my little daughter is dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her so she can live. Now, this man, Jairus, it's it's interesting because everyone else in the story is nameless. There's not a name of the daughter. There's not a name of the mom and dad. But God mentions the name of Jairus. And it was interesting as I was studying, it says the name Jairus means a name to awaken. And I thought it was interesting in the story of our text. Jesus was, uh, Jairus was a worship leader of a local Jewish synagogue. And uh, he was responsible for overseeing the sacred scrolls, for reading on the Sabbath. He was the one that was responsible of laying out the weekly order of the service. He he was kind of like a worship leader. And even though he was a prominent man with the religious background, he was not immune from the torment of fear in his own life. And we see him in a panic mode. We, we, We find him breaking out of the crowd, falling at the feet of Jesus. And he's pleading and he's begging. And we see fear written all over this man's face. It's the fear of torment at its highest level. The fear of death. A somber subject for all of us. In fact, 1 John 4.18 says, Fear hath torment. But nothing ranks higher in fear than the potential death of a young child. Torment is a state of mind that causes great suffering and unhappiness. It's an emotional state of being in a crisis of calamity, misfortune, and tragedy, and yet being out of control. You can't fix it. 
There are some things that are going to come into your life that you can't wrap your head around. You can't wrap your arms around. You can't fix. It's, it's out of your control. But nothing ranks higher in the fear than the potential death of a young child. God blessed us with three young girls. And I remember as a parent, I always would pray, God, protect my children today. Just protect them. If you have a child or a grandchild, you know the concerns that you have when you see something encroaching upon their little life that possibly could be dangerous for them. This man had a 12-year-old little girl who was probably the joy of his life. He was a religious leader and everything was going well until this sickness, this disease that was so powerful just began to take away the life of his child. And the child began to, to, to lose consciousness and the fever rose to a high place and the little girl was getting ready to pass. And this man thought, this is unacceptable. I, I, I can't deal with this. And he ran and he pled for Jesus to help him. We can measure the depth of this man's fear by his radical act of climbing over his own prejudice of Jesus. In fact, the book of Luke tells us that it's a strange thing for a synagogue official to even come around Jesus, let alone fall at his feet. In fact, Luke says, and behold, looky here, this is something you don't see. A religious official from the synagogue falling at the feet of Jesus, pleading for the help of Jesus, it's shocking, it's startling, it's surprising. That's what Luke said, and he himself was a physician. Why? Because a synagogue official would be intimately connected to the religious establishment, which was controlled by the Pharisees. And we all know very well how the Pharisees felt about Jesus. Jesus called them vipers and, and self-righteous and whited sepulchers. And, and he talked about the rottenness of their, of their self-righteousness. And he, he dealt at the very core and they hated Jesus. These pompous leaders hated him and resented him. And they already were begin to plot his death. And anyone that would break ranks and, and go over and side with Jesus would be considered a traitor. But this man needed and believed in Jesus that he was willing to jeopardize his own career. He was ready to throw everything aside, to bypass all the peer pressure to get to Jesus because his little 12-year-old daughter was dying. It's amazing when pain and desperation comes into our life, how we need Jesus. Jairus knew all about Jesus. He knew about his controversial, controversial ministry. He was very aware of the hostile sentiment of his colleagues, but the depth of his fear drove him to cross every boundary. You see, Jairus was tormented with the fear of losing his young daughter. If we could just feel the pathos of that. You could see the face of your own child and see them at the brink of death. And knowing your only chance is to get to Jesus. You can sense the torment in this man named Jairus. He was rattled. He was terrified. He was hysterical. He was panic-stricken. And Satan uses fear to drive us to the place of irrational thinking and behavior that's intended to undermine our faith in the word and the relationship with God. Fear 
is, is right. It torments the soul, the mind, and the heart of a man. It rattles him to the core, and it unsettles everything good in our life. Fear. As we look at 2018, there are a lot of things we can be tormented about. I sometimes have to watch my own fear. I, I watch the news. I'm telling you, that'll get you going. I'm looking at this thing of North Korea and their desire to, to blow up the United States. And I'm seeing third world countries. I'm think, seeing the rise of ISIS and pockets of ISIS here in our country. I'm watching the rise of terrorism. I, as a pastor, I'm concerned. Uh, I, that little church in Texas, all they, they got up that morning not even knowing that by the end of the service that over 20-some of them would be in eternity. We live in a very scary world. You go to the store, you're, you're looking around to see anything odd. Do you see? And listen, we live in a very tumultuous day. We're also concerned about our physical bodies. We know that these physical bodies, as we get older, and something we all have common, we're all going to grow a year older this year. Amen? Look to your neighbor and say, I'm going with you. I was thinking this morning, I woke up this morning, I said, Lord, I feel old. I feel old. But I had a very happy thought. We're all going to go together. Amen? We're going to grow old together. No one's left behind. And then a second thing I want us to look at this morning, and that is the fear is magnified with the feelings of frustration. Now, now you got to get this. This Jairus is like, i got to get to Jesus. I need his undivided attention. I need him. He's got to help me. I'm at a point of crisis in my life. I need Jesus. I need divine intervention right now. And, and Mark chapter 5, verse 24 and 25 says, Jesus went with him. Jesus being the compassionate one. Jairus said, come Jesus, come to my house. Come lay your hands on my daughter that she might live. And the Bible says that Jesus went with him. It was like hope rising in Jairus. Jesus, this one who can raise the dead. Jesus went with him. But then the Bible verse says this, and all the people followed. And then it says all the people crowded around Jesus. And then the Bible says, but a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with a constant bleeding. All the people followed. All the people crowded around Jesus. And then there's this woman who's got her issue and she's interrupting everything. You got the crowd impeding the quickness of Jesus to get to his house. You've got, you've got people crowding around him. It's like, get out of the way. I got to get Jesus to my daughter. And then there was this woman who interrupted the Lord's trip. Here we see fear is frustrated with annoying interruptions. We can sense the tension in these verses in Jairus. He has an emergency. He needs to get Jesus to his dying daughter. But then there's this problem of people stalling Jesus from going forward. It's this woman. This woman who has an issue of blood. He, it's this old woman. It's, it's this poor woman. It's this nobody woman. And then most importantly, it is this unclean woman. I need Jesus now, but people are my problem. And this crowd, they're 
in the way of me seeking Jesus. They were interrupting. Some people pressed in on Jesus because they needed answers to all life's problems. Everyone felt at that moment that their urgent need was greater than the need of anyone else's. Some people were pressing in because they needed a healing for themselves. Some needed an answer for their own life problems. Some people pressed in on Jesus because they wanted God to speak a word of peace to them. Regardless of the crowd, refused to stay behind when Jesus left for the house. So wherever Jesus went, the crowd is, no, we we need Jesus. We're not going to let him get away from us. Fear drives us to frustration when we feel our crisis is not taken seriously by others. Most importantly, Jesus. When we feel deep down that God is dragging his feet or God's not performing the way we think he ought to perform or when he's not moving fast enough or he's not answering our prayers quick enough, fear promotes irrational thinking. Maybe God is slacking in in time of crisis and trouble. Jairus is frustrated with the interruption. You can sense the tension. He's frustrated with the interruption. Fear causes us to accuse God unjustly. Sometimes when we're in pain and we're going through a difficult time, we have a tendency to think, hey, where's God? Where are you, God? We have a tendency to think, well, maybe God's asleep. Well, maybe I'm not really anymore. Maybe this thing about God loving me, as everyone talks about, is really not factually true. And the devil looks at those opportune moments to slip in lies and deception. And sometimes we listen to the lie of the devil, and it, it, it taints our faith. I'm sure he's frustrated with this crowd. He's frustrated with this woman that needs to leave Jesus alone, frustrated that she couldn't at least wait to touch the hem of his uh, garment until he at least got to this little 12-year-old girl. And he's probably thinking to myself, you lived a long life, but my daughter is only 12 years old. Let, Let him alone. I need him. I've seen people in times of crisis and pain just lash out. Where's God? If God is who he says he is, why is there pain and suffering in the world? People get angry at God. God took my child, or God did this, and God did that, and they become angry and irrational in their thinking. But let me give you a good theological dose of truth, and that is God didn't start this mess. He put us in the Garden of Eden. He put us in a perfect world, a perfect relationship, but it was you and I, it was mankind that decided to choose to listen to the devil instead of obeying God, and because of the consequences of our own disobedience, we fell down in sin, but God in his love he came personally to die for every sin of man and build a bridge back into the kingdom of God I am here to tell you today that our God needs to be vindicated and honored because he is not the one guilty of bringing sin get mad at the devil get mad at the devil Jesus warned us that the devil has come to steal and to rob And God said, I can't do anything about these old physical bodies. They're appointed to die. 
But if you come to Jesus Christ, I'll give you a brand new body, and I'll take your soul and spirit and get you into the presence of God. Let me tell you something this morning. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Without him, you are in dire straits. Amen. I'm sure he was frustrated with Jesus because Jesus stopped to even address this old woman who had been sick for 12 years with an issue of blood, who didn't have any money, over the sudden sickness of a young child, his child, in fact. But fear was pushing Jairus to rush and to run and to flee, to make haste, to push Jesus into his crisis. But Jesus didn't share that same mad rush in the face of this emergency. You see, there, is, there are interruptions that appear that God is not connected to our problems. I can share that feeling a little bit. I remember I was pastoring in Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, I've always had an extremely close relationship with my mom. Always talked to her two or three times a week, even when I was living in Alabama. Lived there about 10 years. And my mom had a stroke, and then she had cancer. And uh, she went through all the chemos and all that, the troubles, and, and we kind of talked about it. And she had just got a clean bill of health from her doctor and said, you got past the five-year time, you're going to make it. And we were all so happy. I said, Mom, you're going to live to be 100. She goes, I don't want to live to be 100. But we talked, laughed. She had a great personality. And uh, I'll never forget, it was Father's Day in the middle of June of the year 2000. And I'll never forget, I was standing in front of the mirror, tying my tie, getting ready to go to church. And uh, the phone rang, and it was my brother-in-law. He said, you better come home. I said, why? I just talked to my mom, uh, you know, a couple days ago, and he says, mom's slipping into a coma. I said, How, what's going on? He said, he said, she got a clean bill of health. She's supposed to be fine. He said, well, they just said that she has acute leukemia, and it's, it's rapidly taking her out. I was blown away. One of the deacons of the church said, Tim, I'm going to get your family up there to see your mom in Philly. I'm going to put you on a plane in Atlanta, Georgia, and you go up. It was about an hour and a half away from Montgomery. You get up there, get on the plane, and you get home as quick as you can. And my dad called me a little later, right before I left the airport. He says, Tim, I think she has hours. Man, the pressure. The pressure. I remember going to the airport and there were lines of people. I'm like, get out of the way. People laughing. I'm like, ah, oh, this is serious. Don't laugh. Galloway. Going up to the booth to get our tickets. This guy was just taking his dear old time. And it seemed like he went on a lunch break. I'm like, are you kidding me, dude? Where are you? Finally, he comes back chewing gum. I wanted to reach over and grab his neck and choke him. I got an emergency. We got to go. I got hours. They put us on a plane. We finally got on. Went to wait for all the slow pokes to get on. Finally, they announced. I said, finally, 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 the plane's going down the runway. And we're heading. And they said, it should be a less than a two-hour trip. And we should be arriving in Philly any time. And as we got closer, I kept thinking, ah, oh, I want to be able to tell her one more time that I love her. 
I wanted just to tell her one more time, thank you for being a great mom. I talked about everything else, but I, didn't, I never told her about that. And as we're approaching Philadelphia, there's these great thunderstorms. And they said, we have to circle around Philadelphia. And I was telling my kids and telling my wife, no, whatever you do, go, go to the baggage claim. Let's move quickly. We got to get it. We got to go. My brother-in-law will be there at the baggage claim, pick us up. We'll head. It's about another 30 minutes. We'll, we'll get to, to my mom's house. I said, we, I had it all mapped out. They traveled, circled Philadelphia time and time. And I'm thinking, Lord, why, why, why a storm now? And they said, well, we're, we're not going to be able to land. There are severe thunderstorms. And they said, we're, we're going to have to go to Altoona, Pennsylvania. I said, where the heck is Altoona, Pennsylvania? There's a little poduck town somewhere up yonder. And I would never forget thinking, we, we can't, I can't, can't go to Altoona. So they, the plane landed in, in Altoona or out in the middle of nowhere. And my mom is right probably at the point of getting ready to go into eternity. And I, I just wanted to talk to her and just be with her. And the rest of my family were all there except me. And I'm sitting up in Altoona, this interruption. So I grabbed the, the stewardess, and she said, we, we have to sit here and wait. I said, ma'am, can I get off this plane so I can get a taxi or something? And, and, or maybe I could rent a car somewhere. And she says, there's, there's no car rental here. And by the way, we're not going to let anyone get off the plane. I said, well, you, you, i got to get off. I, I've, I've got to go. I said, how long are we going to be here? She says, "Till the storms subside in Philly. I said, I, I can't wait. And I told her, I said, my mom's dying. I said, I got to get to her. She goes, sir, I am so sorry, but I, I can't let you off the plane. So we just sat. The man that was sitting in front of me turned around and he says, I have a cell phone. This is pre-cell phone days for me. I didn't even know what a cell phone was. He says, I have a phone here. Would you like to call your family? That was great. I said, sir, I'd be so glad. So I used this cell phone, and I'm, I'm sitting about in the middle of the plane, my family around me, and I'm sitting on the edge, on the end of the aisle, and so I dial home, and my dad answers the phone. I said, Dad, and he goes, speak up, Tim, I can't hear you. I felt like saying, I'm in the middle of a plane of about 300 people. He goes, speak up, I can't hear you. So here I am, raising my voice. I said, Dad, this is Tim. Who? Tim. Where are you? I said, I'm in Altoona. What are you doing in Altoona? I said, I don't know. I said, there's a storm in Philly. I can't get there. How's mom? He goes, well, her breathing is labored. She's getting ready to slip. He says, Tim, can you get here? I said, I can't. He goes, this is what he said. Tim, I'm going to put this phone up to your mom's ear. And I want you to talk to her. And I thought to myself, I looked around, I had people all around me, and everybody was listening. So I just raised my voice on the phone, and with tears, I said, Mom, it's Tim. I don't know if you can hear me, but I pray you can. I want you to know that I love you, and I thank you for being a great mom. I just love you. Thank you for being there for me. Making all my clothes when I was a child, kissing all my wounds, helping me, nurturing me, encouraging me in my early years of ministry. Thank you. 
There was no response. My dad took the phone back and he says, I think she heard you. And finally, the plane took off and we headed home and she was at this point in, in pretty much of a deep coma. But I was able to get there just within hours before she took her last breath. And when I'm reading this story about Jairus, I'm like, I know about that. I know about that feeling of trying to get Jesus to his dying daughter. This, I need things to get out of the way. I need people to get out of the way. I got to tend to this. This is serious. Fear only magnifies our frustration in times of urgent trouble. We want to hear from God ASAP. We want others to react the way we react in crisis. We want God to answer our prayers immediately. We want people to feel the emotion that we are feeling. We want God to respond as quickly as we respond. But when God moves according to his time, we have this tendency to become frustrated with the heart and the nature of God. But there's a lesson here for every Christian. It is a lesson in divine delays. Maybe we might call them unanswered prayers. There are times in our lives when we think everything around us is collapsing, and yet God seems to be putting around in the heavens, unconcerned and unattached from our trials and tragedies. May I suggest to you, though, that delays are by divine design. Our Lord deliberately tarried here, just as he did at the report of the sickness of Lazarus. So why did he act? There was no question or who should receive the credit or the glory. Jesus knew what he was doing. When he stopped to heal this woman with the issue of blood, he wasn't afraid. Surely these miracles inform us that delays are not due to our Lord's lack of concern for us. And when he doesn't answer our prayer in the way we think it should be answered, because God is sensitive to every significant need of our life. It's the purpose of God that these delays will result in greater glory for himself and a greater faith for us. How beautifully this interrupted miracle illustrates the truth of Romans 8:28, and we got to embrace it this morning. And we know that God calls us all things to work together for good to those that love God and who are called according to his purpose. God knows best. And then number three, fear is only calmed in the presence of Jesus. Here you go, Charis, pulling Jesus out of this crowd. Tell this woman to be quiet. I got to get Jesus to my house. I, my daughter, she's 12 years old. This is a little child. I got to get Jesus there. And all of a sudden, right over the hill, comes servants from his house. And they got that look. You know about that look. And they tell Jairus, don't bother the master anymore. You don't need Jesus. Your daughter is dead. Jesus hears that. He's looking at the dynamics of what's going on. The servants come back and say, she's dead. We all believe as long as there's life, there's hope. But if there's death, there's no hope. And Jesus is watching the faces of the servants, telling Jairus, and immediately the life drains out of Jairus. The most fearful thing that he was afraid would happen, happened. His nightmare has now become a reality. Your daughter is dead. 
all this rush, all this panic, and Jesus is watching Jairus' face. He looks at him. He saw hope wash out of him. And Jesus, I love it. He says, Jairus, don't be afraid. Jairus is like, she's dead. Don't be afraid. Why? She just died. Jesus, I ain't afraid of death. Don't be afraid. Only believe. What? Believe. Have faith. Now, the most amazing thing about it, fear is only calmed in the presence of Jesus. Now, the good thing about this story is Jairus, in times of his calamity, was at the right place at the right time in the presence of Jesus. Jesus says, look some square in the eyes. Can you imagine peering in the face of the Almighty, peering in the face of the creator of the world, peering into the face of the Almighty Shekinah glory God and him looking back and said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Only have faith. His heart and faith was faltering and it was through faith that would cause him to rush and to get Jesus to help his daughter from her sickbed. And when there is light, there is hope. But with God, we must also believe that there is death There is hope as well. And where there is death, when Jesus is involved, there's hope. Leaving the crowd with all of his disciples, but the inner three, Jesus continued to the home of this now deceased daughter. And Jairus is probably thinking to himself, why are we doing this? This seems late. Outside the home of the commotion, back in those days, they would hire mourners. And many times it was a sign to show that you love someone. And the louder they would cry and scream and carry on with a commotion, it was just a sign that we love that person. And they hired a lot of times these people to do this on the front porch of the house. And this had already started and from a distance, Jairus could hear the wails of, of all of this commotion and this carrying on. And our Lord walks up on the front porch and he says, y'all just get out of here. Y'all just stop this carrying on. He put him out. And the people said, you're putting us out? That she's dead. Jesus said, she's not dead, she's sleeping. They said, she's dead. We know death when we see it. This is what we do. This is our profession. We check out people that are dead. Then we begin the mourning process. She's dead. Jesus says she's not dead. She's sleeping. Get out of here. They left. You see, by the expression asleep, our Lord didn't mean that this girl had not died, but it was indirectly stating that for those who have entered the kingdom of God, for those who have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, death is not a permanent state, but it's a temporary place. Death could not claim this girl because of the mighty presence 
of the Prince of Life. And thinking our Lord was either naive or completely self-deceived, the professional mourners mocked and ridiculed him by their laughter. They knew death when they saw it. But such unbelief will never witness the power of God or a resurrection. So these people were put outside with only our Lord, the inner three, and the parents of the little girl. And the actual event was beautiful. Jesus walks into the room. And there was already beginning the smell of death, the look of death. It was all there. A lifeless child laying on that bed. Jesus walks over and Jairus is like stunned. What is he going to do? Jesus walks over and sits on the side of her bed and he so sweetly speaks these words. Talithi, little girl, wake up. And he took the little girl's hand, and she rose up off that bed. And she walked around, and Jesus said, now, don't go telling everybody because the crowd is big enough, but give this girl something to eat. The Bible says they were astonished. They were surprised. You see, the presence of Jesus in that room of death calmed this crisis. It's just like Jesus to roll the clouds away, amen? And the result was that those who witnessed this great miracle were praising him and thanking him. Jairus was blessed because in the midst of his crisis, he found himself right in the presence of Jesus. It was Jesus that calmed Jairus' fears after hearing the words of his daughter's death. It was Jesus who said, be not afraid, only believe. It was Jesus who looked death in the face and never became unruffled or shaken. It was Jesus who went to the home of Jairus with confidence and power. It was Jesus who redefined death for us as believers as just sleeping in him and rebuked those who had no faith. It was the touch of the and the word of Jesus that raised Jairus from the dead. Jairus was completely calmed and comforted in the presence of Jesus. Completely calm and totally rejoicing. I got to tell you this. I had a rough time at my mom's funeral. In fact, I had a lady come by and she says, why are you so crying? You're supposed to believe in Jesus. I wanted to smack her. You got some of those pious people around. I cried. I I did. I cried. I grieved at my mom's funeral. I had a rough time. I wasn't there to talk to her at the last moment. And when the funeral was all over, I had this propensity to be near her. After the funeral, everybody said all their nice things. I went to the grave by myself. The dirt was just freshly, later that night, was freshly put over the grave. I knelt. I just said, Mom, just in case you didn't hear, I know you hear in heaven, but I want you to know I love you. But in my mind, I was still thinking my mom was down in that grave. My heart was so ripped apart. My Thinking was skewed. I was kneeling. I don't tell a lot of people this. This is about the second time I've told anyone this. I said, Lord, Lord, I just want to talk to her. And it's Jesus. 
met me at the grave. I didn't see him, but I felt his presence. He looked at me and said, she's not dead. She's sleeping. You think she's dead, but she's very much alive in my presence, and she's doing fine, and she's enjoying all the glories of heaven. She's sleeping. She will rise again. Faith surged through me. I didn't go there thinking this, feeling this. This didn't come to me by myself. This came to me by the mighty hand of God. He just put a surge of faith in me. And I, I knew, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that soon that box, that physical body was laying in, was going to be revived and transformed to a glorified body. I knew her soul and spirit was with the Lord. But immediately, God just calmed, calmed me. And I went home, a changed man. I just transferred that trust to God. My grieving took a whole different direction and look. And I know I'll see my mom again. Her body is sleeping. Her soul and spirit is very much alive in the presence of God. Jairus had the joy of seeing his daughter rise quickly. I have the joy of seeing her a little later. What are the storms that are blowing in your life right now? What are you afraid of? What fears are you grappling with? You see, we're called to bring those things to Christ and to ask for his peace in our hearts. We're summoned to pray earnestly for each other. We're to pray for peace in the body of Christ to bring us together as God's people. Pray for our war-torn world. You see, the peace of Christ is not a magical potion that removes us from the struggles of life or immediately fixes every problem. It's rather the gift of an inner calm and a confidence based on the presence and credibility and the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're saying... How am I going to make 2018? Some of you looking at it and you're thinking, oh, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. Yeah. But may I say this? As long as you stay in the presence of Jesus Christ, he has power over everything that threatens you or creates fear in your life. Death, he's got it. Illness, he's got it. As long as you stay in the presence of the Lord, stay close to him, You'll be calm. We got to face our fears for 2018. But if we have Jesus, we got this thing. Amen. I love Jesus, don't you? He's, He's not a religious icon to me. He's not just a name found in the Bible. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my helper. He's my helper. And I love to be in his presence. I love him. And friend, if you're living far away from him, you're tormented. Get into his presence like Jairus got into his presence. Let him be your peace. Let him be your shield. Let him be your comfort. You're going to make it. You're going to make it as long as you stay in the presence of Jesus. Let's pray.